Well, as we started a few weeks ago this series, I, I laid out the picture of where James, um, the world in which he lived. And I think we have to remind ourselves of that as we go through this book because it's easy to start to get into what I would call the weeds of the story. You know, I'm talking about the details and miss the big picture. The big picture is that James is writing to a people uh, as their pastor or their bishop is probably the term they would have used back then. And um, they are in a very, very difficult season of life. They are living... Um, in the greater Jerusalem area. Remember, Christianity started in Jerusalem, and then it spread from there. And James, as the brother of Jesus, is the, the first pastor of the, the church at Jerusalem. Uh, the, there's a church with his name on that in that building to this day because of that. But they're, they're dealing with all kinds of pressures. From one side of the Romans, who uh, are just vile and disgusting folks, because of the way they lived and who they were. On the other side was the religious people who were part of Judaism had allowed faith in God to become a ritual, a rule. I would even call it a vile way to live, to live that kind of life. And out of all of that, James is trying to write to a people who are facing this stuff from left and from right. There's attack on this side, attack on that side, struggle on this side, struggle on that side. How do we live in this time? If you follow church history down, James, uh, because of all of the stuff that's going on, James ends up becoming uh, beheaded in the midst of all this. So this was some serious stuff that they're going through. And he's been giving them some ideas of how to live life when trials come. And, and we've been looking at, looking at the first two messages in this series. Today we come to a, a, another set of decisions that need to be made. If we're going to live in the times that they were living in, and I, I really do believe that our times are in many ways a lot like what James's environment was, we have to come to a realization that as vile as the world is, we have no control over the world. Did you know that? I know some of you are thinking, no, no, I control my world. Uh, you don't. I'm just here to tell you, you may control some things in your life, but the bigger picture of the way the world is and the things that go on in the world and the things that happen in our world, we got very, very, very little control over. But we do have control over one thing in the world. You're going, well, what's that? It's how we respond. We get to choose how we respond to the world, however it is that we find it. And so we're going to pick up in James 1.19 and finish James chapter 1 this morning. And, and James says this to his, his, his beloved folks. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For it is, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer but forgets, who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And if anyone thinks he is religious 
and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Father God, I pray that as we take a look at this passage and kind of delve into it a little bit and dig into it, that God, you would show us the importance of deciding how we will respond to the world that we encounter. Will we allow it to drive us like a ship without a rudder in a storm to end up wherever it ends up? Or God, will we keep our eyes on you and allow you to guide us through that storm as our rudder, driving our lives in a way that you're honored and blessed and glorified and lifted up and that, Father, we impact the lives of people around us in a positive way. God, show us your word this morning. Show us what James is trying to teach these folks. Show us what you're trying to teach us. God, show me what you're trying to teach me in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I think there's five things that he lays out here that we need to grasp before we can kind of dig it into our lives. The first one is this. We've got to choose to develop an open heart. Now, there's a lot of talk in our day and age about open hearts and open minds. And, you know, I remember as a kid, somebody said, if you open your mind up too much, your brain will roll right out. And I always thought was, well, I don't have much one anyway, so it didn't really matter. But, but it's the people whom James writes are living in a difficult and a vile time. They really have a choice to make, just like the choice we have to make. Will we be people with open or closed hearts? Now, I am not talking about the idea of tolerance in any modern sense of the word or progressive thought. That is not, I think, what's going on here. Rather, he's addressing the need of people whose hearts to be people whose hearts are open to God. It says, God, what do you want in this moment? What do you want to do here? What's your light guiding here? Where are you directing? You see, James understood the tendency that all of us have, all humans in his time, all humans in our time, that we tend to close ourselves off to the thought of anybody but who? Ourselves. We'll say things like this. This is my thought. This is what I want to do. Here's my. Here's what I want to do. Here's my thinking. Here's my. And we don't stop and say, God, what do you have? What do you want in this moment? We all have this propensity to be people who will say, well, if I didn't think it up, it ain't worth listening to. And you're going, well, I don't do that. Well, we do. Let's just be honest. I do. You do. We all do that. We tend to think our thought is right. Why? Because it's our thought, right? And so that's what we're going to do. But notice how James speaks lovingly and I think even pastorally to the flock. And he calls them beloved brothers. I remember when I was in junior college down at Tyler, uh, Brother Johnny, he was an old man. He was probably in his 50s. Isn't that weird how perspective changes over time? But anyway, he would call uh, all the people in his church beloved. And I thought that was weird. He called me beloved. I was like 20 years old. I am not his beloved, you know. I couldn't even get a date. I don't need an old man thinking that about me. You know, weird. But, but I think that's a beautiful picture, isn't it, of how the love that he had for the folks he was trying to guide. He, beloved, it's a term of endearment. It's a term of love. He says, I want to show you my concern. You see, when people find themselves in difficult seasons like the people in this passage did, it becomes easy to become hard-hearted. It becomes easy to become bitter. I think it even becomes easy to become angry. 
when things are hard, aren't they? When things get tough, we go, man, I'm mad, I'm upset. I'm, I'm, loved ones we, 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 who've been persecuted to death, families have been forced to relocate in, in his day. It, it, the world's against them, and it's easy to let bitterness and let anger well up in their souls and say, oh, this is not good. But James says, whoa, stop. Be open-hearted to God. Don't let the circumstance cause you to become bitter, to become angry. And the way he phrases it is, is great. He says, look at that. He says, be what? Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, our response is usually this. We're slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to anger. It's the exact opposite of who we are. For the reality is God's righteousness is not developed how? When we get angry. When I get, I cannot get angry enough at anybody to cause them to have God's righteousness. I can shout and yell and holler and all that stuff and I, I raise my voice in preaching sometimes, but that, not in anger. It's because we want the best, right? We want the right things in our lives. We want the good things in our lives. And the reality is God's righteousness does not develop that way. So by developing a heart that says, God, I want to be open to you, we start to live like, to look like, even, dare I say, sound like our Heavenly Father. We begin to reflect His graciousness and His worthiness in our lives. And we're open-hearted. And then he goes on, verse 21. He, he says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, and he, for he looks at himself and goes away and forgets what he's like. I think what he's trying to call us to do here, call them to do is this, to determine to do this. I'm going to be positive. I'm not going to be negative. His call is to go against. And listen, this is the Christian experience. It it is to go against our human nature. The Holy Spirit of God working in our lives is calling us to do exact opposite of what we would do without the Holy Spirit of God. He's calling us to cut against the grain, to be different than the way we would be without Jesus. Y'all with me? To, To live a life that is transformed by His presence. He says, I want you to be positive, to put away filthiness, to put away wickedness. Let God transform your heart. Now, stop for a moment and think about what word James is referring here. I've got to tell you, he's not talking about the writings of Paul. You know why? Hadn't been written yet. He's not talking about the writings of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, because they haven't been written down yet. So he's talking about what we would call the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. He's talking about the Torah. He's talking about the stuff that we carry around in our Bibles and go, I think it's back there somewhere. I don't know what it is. The stuff that we kind of don't spend a lot of time on. That's the word he's talking to. The words that were given centuries before had a power to transform their hearts, to change their lives. And as they recognize the, the Messiah in this world, they're going, now, now we can put it to practice and put it to work. Those words had to be more than a moral thought or a good thinking, but had to change them from the inside out. And when it settled in their souls, that's a phrase that kind of has been bubbling in my heart for most of the week. The idea of letting God's word and his presence 
settle in our souls so that it's down deep and it's within us. You know, the people in James's day had a lot to be concerned about. Let me tell you, your family's under attack. You've got to relocate because people are trying to kill you. There's all kinds of mess going on. Yeah, it would be easy to be negative, right? Whoa, Patrick, let's, let's say this. It's easy to be negative when? Right now, isn't it? You look around and go, I can't believe the things that they're doing. And you're going, well, who are you talking about? I'm talking about all of them, okay? I'm talking about all of them. The world has gone absolutely nuts, hasn't it? Am I the only one? It's crazy, some of the things that go on in this world today. But it's been around forever. And the question isn't, will it happen? The question is, how are we going to respond to it? We can determine to be negative and be drop right into the mess with them, or we can say, no, what? I'm going to be better than that. As I like to tell the kids over and over and over and over and over in our house, to what? To rise above those things with the power of the Holy Spirit. Let Him lead us through those things. So we develop this open heart. We determine to be positive. Third, we discover a, a freedom. And it's not just freedom to do what you want to do, but it's what God calls you to do. So we discover this godly freedom. But no one looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed. Now, there's an interesting juxtaposition in the language here between a person who looks at God's law and then forgets and the person who looks at God's law and perseveres. And I don't think there's really a middle ground here. The person he's talking about is the one who says, God, I'm going to discover your freedom to be what you want me to be, to be the person you've called me to be, and I'm going to live the way you've called me to be, regardless, listen, regardless of the circumstances that I may face. Let that sink in. If you do the things that God calls you to do in his scriptures, is life going to be easier or harder dealing with the people around you? And if you want to say both, it's okay. Because I think in one way it is easier, and I think in one way it's way, way harder. See, they've discovered, they needed to discover, we need to discover the freedom to be everything God wants them to be in the world that's going bonkers and is heading off the old proverbial cliff. And James point blank tells them, if you'll look into the perfect law, you'll be blessed. Hey, who doesn't want to be blessed? They do, we do. Yet often in these situations in our preconceived notion, we think this is what it means to be blessed. For the people in James's day, you know, if we were really blessed, we wouldn't be attacked by the Romans or the Jews and life would be good and we could live right where we are and nobody would mess with us. Guess what? That wasn't going to happen. So they had to choose how to respond. Being blessed by God, listen, is discovering the freedom to be everything God wants you to be regardless of the storm raging all around. It's walking through the fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and knowing that you're not alone. It's like being the prophet Jeremiah at the bottom of the well because he's spoken the truth knowing that God, even if he doesn't deliver me, will take me out of that situation. You know, but I want it to be easy. I think James's call is it wants to be holy and righteous for God's sake. 
In order to find victorious living in vile times, we have to say this. I'm not going to turn my back on God. I'm not going to turn my back on God's word. I'm going to discover his freedom, and I'm going to be the person he's called me to be, even if I'm the only one in my circle doing it. Well, that's easy, Patrick. No, it's not, is it? That's his point. Walking with God is not the absence of pain or trials. It is having the calm assurance that says this, I know God's leading and I can follow him. Fourth. Then he says this, if anyone thinks he is religious, and that's an interesting word in the Greek we don't have time to dig into, but he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. Now, James follows this with a warning of sorts. He's saying, I think this. Discipline your words. Discipline your words. How many times have, have, have uh, I gotten myself into trouble because of my words? Some of you have known me since I came here. You'd probably say, well, I could make a list. So could I. James follows this with a warning of sorts about being authentic, I think is really the big idea here. And he's speaking to a group of people. Now, you've got to remember the context. Sometimes we read Scripture and we miss the story. That's why I kept brought us back to why, they're, why he's writing it, because they're in the midst of a mess right now. But he's also writing to folks that have been, been raised in Judaism with all the legalism and all the rules that early first century Judaism entailed. They had 613 laws that they had to memorize. They had a box they would put on their forehead with a memory verse to walk around. Okay, They would put certain things in certain places to remind them of this and this and this. And if you broke a rule, you had to go to this spiritual and this spiritual and this thing. to get. They lived the rules that you can't even begin to imagine. And all of their lives they've heard about the promised Messiah. He's coming, he's coming. And then he comes, but they still are what? Products of their upbringing. Just like well, me. And you. And they have habits that are difficult to overcome. James calls them to grasp an important truth. He says, being devoted to God without heart and life shows a lack in their life. Uh, You'd say, well, it'd be easy. I, I, I think if I had to live in that experience that they were going through. I don't think it would just be easy. I think it would be almost expected to get angry, to get upset, to get bitter, to get furious, to laugh, shout like with ugly words, and to be just awful. You know with me? Sounds like today. But to do that revealed a lack of devotion to God and showed a Not righteous indignation, but a lack of commitment. See, true devotion to Jesus changes not just your heart, not just changes your mind, but get this, and we're going to get to it later again again later in the book of James. It changes your tongue. You with me? It changes what you say, what you don't say, changes how you say things. In the Bible, such language shows a distinct disconnect between the faith of a person and their actions. So the call is discipline your words. Even in our day, words once thought unacceptable, we just say them and don't give it a second thought. I think that speaks volumes of our spiritual depth or maybe our lack of it. 
fifth. And then he gets to that one we love to quote. He comes to a, a description of how to live in a vile time. And you, you want to say, oh, so we all need to go down to the nursing home this afternoon. If that's what God calls you to do, you better do it. But I think he's talking about something bigger than just the exact meaning of these words here. I think there's a spirit behind this that we need to grasp it all as well. And, and it, it, the scripture says this, religion that is pure and, defi- and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit widows, uh, orphans and widows in their affliction, and often we put a period there and stop, but it goes on, and to keep oneself what? Unstained from the world. I think the big idea that we need to grasp here that from James's teaching is this, that we need to learn to deal honorably with the people we really like. Wait, wait, wait. That's not what I wrote, is it? To deal honorably with who? Ooh. But I don't like them. James, I think, gives a clear description of how they should be living in a vile time. Always work to get even. Wait, I did write that. That's not right. Or, or, get ahead. That's even better, isn't it? Not at all. What he's calling them to do is to take the newfound life they found in Messiah Jesus and do something that is so utterly radical and transformational in our lives that we go, I can't even begin to fathom doing this, is to treat everyone, everyone honorably. But I don't agree with their lifestyle. I don't agree with the way they live. I don't agree with their politics. I don't agree that they don't wear the right clothes to church. I don't agree that they wore a cap in the auditorium. Last Sunday morning, we sat in that church with Matthew, and there were about 15 men with ball caps on. And I said, how dare they? They don't love Jesus. We laugh. And I got to thinking, I said, you know what? They're there at the church house listening to the Word of God. And that was way more important to me than a ball cap. The way he describes it's interesting because we love to dig into just that thought. The, uh, he, visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction. Keep oneself unstained. Man, I think there's a whole lot more going on here than just those things. And, and yes, it means going to an orphanage. Yes, it means stopping at the nursing home. If that's, 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 that, that needs to happen. And these are things we can and should do. But the big picture is this. Deal honorably with everyone, even those we disagree with on the most basic levels. I think the, the calling here, and it's a high calling, don't miss it, is a high calling to treat people with the same respect you want to receive. But they don't agree with me on everything. So what? You know, God loves people no matter what position they hold. God doesn't come and say, well, clean up your mess, and then you can come to me, does he? He takes us how? Just as we are. Not us, but that's God. And we want to say, well, you get it cleaned up, you quit dipping, quit chewing, quit going girls that do, and then you can come. You with me? There's no room in James's thought for if they will do right, then I will treat them right. Instead, the call is to treat them with respect and dignity. 
See, I can vehemently disagree with someone's lifestyle, their thoughts, their politics, whatever else you want to put in that blank, and still love them with Jesus' love. That's the calling he has for us, dear church. We say, oh, I can't do that. Man, I grew up in a family with grandparents that were as racist as they come. And God has set me free from that. Do I still struggle with it on some ways? Of course. The upbringing's hard to change, isn't it? But you know what? The Holy Spirit of God allows us to love others through that. So there's three thoughts I want you to see as I wrap it up, and I'm aware of the time. I'm not trying to make up for it to suddenly missing last week by going an extra 30 minutes, I promise. Three things, and they're choices we have to make. I think the first one is this. We have to choose forgiveness over bitterness. You might want to say, well, why don't you have on there unforgiveness? I think bitterness is tied up with unforgiveness, but it's bigger than that. Let's face it. This, every single one of us will come to a place where life is going to be hard. I don't know where you're at this week. It may be the premature death of a loved one. I went to a funeral yesterday for a 30-year-old young man. Wow. That doesn't seem right, does it? Maybe you're in a difficult financial situation. Maybe you're going through a personal attack. And if you, if you haven't had to face this kind of stuff, guess what? You will at some point. How are you going to get through it? Regardless of the circumstance, every one of us has a fundamental, basic decision to make. How will I respond to this? Now, I, I don't want us to be people that go, well, I'm going to be tough and I'm going to get through it. It ain't going to hurt me. Let me tell you what. When someone attacks you, when a situation gets hard, it's okay to hurt. It's okay to feel that pain. Because that's part of the healing process. You've got to feel it to get through it. But if we allow anger and animosity take over, it will drive us to a dark place, to a place of bitterness, a place of, of animosity, of anger that is not positive. See, the people of James Day were faced with attacks from both sides. They were dealing with serious dangers. They find themselves having to relocate to survive. In our days, in our day, followers of Jesus, listen, are rapidly becoming the minority of the culture. There was a study just released this past week, if you didn't see it. By 2050, Christians, evangelical conservative, not conservative, but evangelical Christians in general will be the minority in America by 2050. I never thought I would live to see that day. I figured my kids would. It's coming fast. I'm not saying I'm going to live to 2050, but I might. It's coming quick. So how do we respond? I think it's as simple as this. We have to make a thoughtful choice that says this. I am not going to let, listen, a root of bitterness settle in my soul. It's easy to get angry, isn't it? It's easy to get indignant, to get furious, to lash out, to get, what does that do? Does God lash out at us in those circumstances? Praise God he doesn't, right? We might not be here this morning. See, our, as, as humans, our sin offends holy God, and he would be very justified at being bitter at our situation, but he doesn't go bitter, and neither should we. What he does is he offers forgiveness. For everyone. Wow. 
Over the letters to the Colossian church, Paul spoke to this very issue when he tells them how to handle such situations. What he doesn't tell them is this. Don't become bitter. He doesn't say get bitter, get angry. He says what? Look at the scripture. Bear with one another. Bear with one another. And if someone has a complaint against you, tear them up. Wait, wait. That's how many of us live, isn't it? He doesn't. He says, no, no. Forgive each other. Does he know what he's asking me to do? You with me? Forgive. Why? As the Lord. You with me? As what? Forgiving you. This is not Christianity 101, folks. This is like Christianity 601. This is grad school stuff. No, it's not. It's basic. It's what we're supposed to be doing. It's how we're supposed to be living. The life that he's called us to is to what? Be like Christ. Oh, piece of cake, right? Aren't you glad Jesus forgives our sins? Then why can't we turn around and forgive the sins of others who have sinned against us? No, I'm going to live bitter. I'm not going to be forgiveness. May our day... We choose the path of forgiveness instead of the path of bitterness and anger. Paul, James calls him to do it. Paul did the same. We can do it. And as we walk through the storms of life, don't be the victim. Choose to be victorious instead. Number two choice. Choose, y'all are with me now, positivity over what? Negativity. But you don't understand, Pastor. I'm a negative person. It's just how I am. I see the bad in everything. Well, congratulations. How's that working for you? You know, you know, we all know people like that, don't we? I mean, you'd say, oh, I'm going to give you a million dollars. Really? I thought you'd give me two. Oh, my goodness. What's wrong with you? A million's not enough. All right. I, some people say, I'm neg- I don't believe it for a minute. I think we choose to respond with negativity. So here's the thing. You may be trapped in a pattern of negativity because you're really good at it. But with the power of God, you can do what? Rise above it. You don't have to stay that way. You don't have to live your life that way. You don't have to walk around going, oh, it's terrible, it's bad, everything's awful. Oh, my goodness. And you wonder why nobody wants to be around you. But people like you. James thought is we can do better. We can be better in the name of Jesus. The power, the people to whom James wrote needed to hear this. The people to whom Paul wrote need to hear that. Let's, let me just be blunt. We need to hear that, don't we? We need to hear that we can be better than our old nature. Not because we're so wonderful or great people, but because the Holy Spirit of God is living and dwelling where? Within us. Just as God is always working for our good, so we should be working for the good of those around us. As we speak good words, positive words, we push aside the negativity. Listen, y'all probably know me enough to know I struggle with this myself. You present something to me, I can find the bad in anything. I really can. I'm good at that. I have to work at this myself. You know the old news adage, don't you? Negativity sells. You know why negativity sells in the news media? Because so many of us are so stinking negative, that's what we're looking for. We don't want to read the good stuff. We want to see the bad stuff. We choose the dark over the light. Paul spoke to the church at Thessalonica. He said this, See that no one repays anyone, 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 evil for evil. 
but always, occasionally, when you feel like it, but always seek the, to, to do good to one another and to everyone. You know, I think one of the greatest compliments a church could have in a community is, this, is something along the lines of this. That's the church that cares about everybody and loves everybody, even if you don't go to church there, that they love us. Mm. Third, there's a choice we need to make of choosing nurturing words over deadly words. Now, I read a study this past week and trying to prepare for this morning. Um, the average, church, average child, the study said, hears, not, not this thing in, hears 432 negative words per, on average per day. Not per week, per day. You want that number again? 432 per day. You know, some of our favorite words in life are no, don't. How about this one, parents? Stop! Go with me. I'm afraid the house is going to burn down. Is it any wonder negativity abounds and our knee-jerk reaction is rejection? As the people of James Day were facing serious problems, so are we. And it's so easy to sink to the level of our culture, to use coarse words, to use vulgar words, to use negative words. But I'm here to tell you this morning, dear friend, there is a better way. There is a better approach to life than that. King Solomon called upon his sons to choose nurturing words over deadly words. We prayed it just a few minutes ago. Gracious words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul. Health to the body. We choose a positive approach. I remember years ago, I was in my first part-time position in a church. I was a youth pastor um, while I was in college. And um, I had followed a summer youth worker whose mama, his, whose, well, let's just rephrase this, his mama thought she ran the church. And, but he had to go back to school and didn't have time. I was in school and I chose to serve. And I went to staff at the church. And his mama went to the pastor and said, either Patrick leaves or our church, our family's leaving the church. I mean, we had grown the group from 12 kids to 30 already, so we were doing something wrong, apparently. I don't know. But anyway, I'm not, I, you know, I don't like conflict. Did you know that? I don't like conflict. I, I've been in it, but I don't like it. And, and I remember going into Brother Tom's office. And sitting down, and Tom says, I need to tell you something, Patrick. I said, okay. He tells me the story, and I figure he's going to ask me to resign and leave so for the sake of the church. And I told him, I said, Tom, here's the thing. If you need me to be out of the way, I'm gone. I got a job that I'm paying the bills with. The youth ministry thing is learning how to do church work, and I don't have a clue what I'm doing, as you full well know. He says, no, you need to hear this, Patrick. Sometimes... Subtraction is an addition. And I said, is this math class? He says, let me explain. Sometimes we have to let negative influences in our life go away so that we can be the people that God wants us to be. 
That was 1987. Yeah, I'm old. I get it. A long time ago. But I'm able to stand here in 2022 in about the same time of year and share with you those words because they were like a honeycomb to me. They were sweetness to the soul. They were health to my body. My pastor had my back. That family did leave and our church continued to grow and they were happier at the big church where they were a small voice instead of a big voice in a smaller church. And I learned that principle. Nurturing words are so much better than deadly words. May we be people who speak nurturing words, encouraging words, positive words, to be slow to anger, to be quick to praise, to look for the good instead of the bad, to be cautious consumers of the media we take in. You know, a lot of the stuff we tolerate in our culture has happened because we see it on the screens. And they go, well, if they say it, I guess it's okay. There's words we say, we're, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid-50s still. There are words that people say today that would have gotten my mouth washed out with soap as a kid. I actually did get my mouth washed out with soap as a kid. But anyway, and yet we look the other way now and go, oh, well, oh, my dear friends. You know, the world's tougher than it used to be. And then I think that means we got to step up to the plate, church. And be the people God wants us to be. To speak the good stuff. To look for the positive things. To build lives. Not tear them down. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for those who maybe need to respond this morning. Maybe someone needs to make a decision to follow you. Maybe they need to make a public commitment to a local congregation. Maybe they just need to come and pray at an altar or with a pastor over their lives. And we just pray, God, that you would... Um, Show us what you have for us. Father, I think of the life that James is experiencing, the tough things that they were going through. Father, not all that different from what we face in our world today. May we hear the words, these ancient words of 2,000 years ago, speak into our lives today to be the people that you want us to be, to be a light to a community, to a county, to a state, to a world that needs you. We pray your hand on this time in Jesus' name. Amen.